Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All I want is to be loved. It's all any of us want from you. What does one have to do to get some kindness in this family? In time, she will give up her fight and bend, as they all do. And if she doesn't bend, what then? Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine. We are in a post-Thanksgiving haze or glow, depending on how well it went for you, or a nothing if you don't live in America or you don't care about Thanksgiving. I hope you guys all had a very safe, happy, fun, you know, slightly different from previous years, but still equally fulfilling Thanksgiving. And with that... I am doing a special episode. I am obsessed with the crown, you guys. I love it. I love it so much. So today is going to be all about the crown. I had a great guest, my (laughs) personal royal correspondent, Jasmine Shorter. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And I will be back later in the week with our regularly scheduled episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Love you. Bye. You guys, you can tell by the sound of my voice that it's gone from the usual four excitement level to about a six and three quarters. We're going to talk about something today that is just, I'm so excited to talk about this. (laughs) The Crown season four, join with me to talk about this, is my... um, you know, what I am appointing, my special royal correspondent, Jasmine Shorter. Hi, Jasmine. Hello, how are you, Cara? Ah, great. Loving, loving life right now. I started watching The Crown, uh, you know, just this year. Because oh, of, really? 
Town. Yeah, so this was a real treat for me. I like to be able to watch shows and, like, not have to wait a long time. Like, a Netflix show especially. Not have to wait too long for the next season to come out, especially yeah. when the first four or first three. So this was really great for me. I, I, I first want to know, what is, like, the British reaction to this show? I mean, I think everyone here loves it. I don't think that it's, uh, I think, you know, it's still seen as a bit sort of soapy, even though it's real life. But I can't think of anyone that I know who wasn't excited about the new series or, you know, just everyone just really sort of everyone seems to really get into it and really love it. I think particularly this season, because Princess Diana is just the probably I would say the most popular royal we have ever had. And it seems to me that just people are just even if they've never watched The Crown before, are just really excited about this season and just keen to really get into it. Yeah, I read this article that was so funny. It was like the royal, you know, some palace insider, as they referred to this person, talking about how the family was, you know, really against it and how much they hated it and how, you know, even a show like The Only Way is Essex has to issue a a warning in the beginning of the show about how, you know, some of these, you know, scenes have been recreated for entertainment. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's a reality show. And this is clearly like a drama. Clearly, we can't, nobody can be privy to every single conversation that we see being had on this show. Like, Obviously, things are fictionalized, but yeah, I, I thought that was so funny. Like, why would you compare this to Tally? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, history's history. What really did make me chuckle last Sunday when I started watching it, and I was tried to get through the whole series in a day, just because whenever the Crown goes live, a new series, I just want to binge it as quickly as possible. And I saw someone in my timeline moaning about spoilers. I was just like, how can you be moaning about spoilers? Like, this is, you never picked up a newspaper. Like, if you haven't sort of read any sort of recent history, like, how can you have any spoilers with the crown? Like, if you don't know what's going on in it, that's really worrying, especially as a British person. Right. That's <laughs> very, very funny. <laughs> um, what, I, I have, like, a quick question just for myself. Do you guys have a term for the shape of Elizabeth's haircut? Is there a word for that? Because, yeah, I mean, I probably would just call it, I mean, that's just like a typical old lady's hairdo here. I mean, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's nothing I've never really, would just be sort of like a a granny perm, I think it would be known as, but (laughs) it's just like a typical old lady's hair. Like my late grandmother had like very similar hair. Like it's just what old people have here. Do they not have that in America? Do they have like a range of hairstyles? I feel like there is like a granny hairstyle, but it's not that. Oh, it's very, very <laughs> predominant here. It would be very solid if you were to touch it. There would be a lot of hairspray on that. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about like your relationship to the royal family. I assume that you're not like a royalist per se, like maybe more in the cultural sense, not in like wanting to keep like what what's the sentiment of people today with respect to the royals I think they're still really cherished here I think there was a time probably in the late 90s like noughties sort of after the death of Princess Diana sorry spoiler alert 
um, <laughs> that, that, what? Um, the, the, the royal, the popularity, the royalty over here, and the idea of the monarchy really plummeted. But I think that has really gone back up in like recent years, like with Wills and Kate, um, Harry and Meghan. You know, the younger royals coming through. I mean, I would would say I'm a royalist actually, which okay. really gets on my dad's nerves because he is very much not a royalist. Me and my sister get quite into it. Like we like to go to visit all the royal palaces, like normally at least once a year. Um, whenever there's like a big royal event, like we like to get really over the top about it. Like we were stood outside Westminster Abbey for Wills and Kate's wedding. You know, it's just, yeah, I would probably say that I am a royalist. Um, but yeah, I guess. Yeah. And I just really, really love the Queen. I do really love the Queen and the younger royals. I mean, I've even warmed to Charlie in recent years, I have to say. Um, I think he was probably the fawn in the crown for many years. Like, I don't, obviously, he's not as popular as his son or his mum. So I think that that's where we could become a little bit unstuck. But yeah, I think it's a mixed bag in the UK, like between a mix of people who are really pro the monarchy those who are indifferent and those who are anti it but I'd say in general people are in favour of it and do particularly when there's a big event like a wedding get really carried away about it mm-hmm. okay it's good that you mentioned Charles because I I'm just gonna be you know always talking about my perspective as an American and just like hearing tangentially things about the family so my perspective was that like people have never really cared for him and but was that more of something that happened prior to the marriage like was he always kind of like the show especially gives this idea that he's just kind of like weak (laughs) and like spoiled and not in a charming way that you would maybe assigned to a royal because he's born that way like it it seems like people just really don't like him and I think especially because of Diana but was that their opinion even prior to Diana I mean it's difficult for me to say because um I was like barely born when Charles and Diana got married so I wasn't got obviously have no recollection whatsoever of like Charles like before Diana Um, he was always seen as like she was like I can remember clearly them being together like when I was a child and he was she was clearly seen as like the 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 one in the relationship um but I think that I think the public attitudes have softened to him in recent years like particularly like when you know he got with Camilla like after Diana's death and all of that like I think like his popularity was at such a low um that you know, I just, I didn't see how there was any way around it. But actually, I don't think every anyone sort of minds them now as a couple. Like, they don't particularly bother me. I think that, you know, at least he's, like, had a bit of a backbone and, like, gone with his actual heart. Um, mm. And actually, I think she does seem quite amusing, like, quite a dry sense of humour. And, you know, obviously, she's no Diana. But I actually don't think I have any personal beef with her anymore, which is lucky for her. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be on the wrong side of you, for no, sure. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> um okay that is interesting I mm, okay so on the show we get we don't really get like a real explanation as to why Charles and Camilla couldn't marry to begin with I oh, well, she was married to someone else that was the big issue I think right. <laughs> but like they were together prior to that because Anne was with what's his name the- 
Andrew, Andrew Parker Bowles, like her yeah. ex-husband. So I think what happened, um, again, this is, I wasn't alive at the time, so this is just from like my reading history and studying history and stuff, is that um, I think that Charles and Camilla were together for like a short amount of time, a few months or something. Then he got sent off in the army somewhere. So like when she, he was gone, maybe sort of close to a year, sort of around that time frame. And in that window of time, like she got with Andrew Parker Bowles and got engaged and sort of when he returned, I think he assumed they'd just be able to pick things back up. But she was already betrothed to another. See, I heard that... Um... Andrew and Camille's engagement was basically done on behalf of their own parents. Like they announced it in a newspaper. Oh, okay. Realized that they had gotten engaged. <laughs> like <laughs> it wasn't really arranged by them per se. Um, this is very interesting to me. The whole like relationship of it all when it comes to that sort of like upper class aristocracy, you know, keep it in the family sort of thing. This is something that I understand why they wouldn't have touched on the sh in the show. So, like, on the show, it seemed like uh, Charles's uncle, Dickie, the one who ended up getting killed on the boat. Lord Mountbatten. Yes. <laughs> he was, like, a real proponent of Charles marrying Diana. But it, I heard that, like, at first he actually wanted Charles to marry his cousin. And then... Yeah. He I mean, there's always a lot of inbreeding and stuff within the royals. I mean, do you remember sort of the scandal it caused, like when Wills decided he was going to marry a commoner, which is yeah. what um, Kate Middleton is a commoner, so she has no sort of royal blood. I mean, that was absolutely unheard of for someone in line to the throne to marry someone that wasn't born with blue blood and sort of wasn't sort of somehow related to the, the monarchy. I mean, it's just the way that things were. So I think quite often it would, in the royal family, have been decided um, maybe even before you were born, like, oh, they would that would be a good match. That would be good to sort of align um, those two houses or those two sort of um, families. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. That's gross to me. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, the thing that's interesting is, is that I feel like people don't really talk about the inbreeding. I mean, they do, but they talk about it as like a necessary evil to like keep the money and keep the titles and stuff. But like when we talk about it in other cultures, like with, you know, in Indian cultures with arranged marriage, they talk about it as this like completely backwards, weird thing. But so many other cultures do very similar things. And it's not, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think sort of it was a way of just keeping the bloodline pure. Like you, you wouldn't want sort of outsiders coming in and then sort of diluting the bloodline, which it does sound weird. And I do think it's weird, but it's just the way that it was sort of perceived for like the royalty. Like it should be that you are born and you are the monarch because it's not like, you know, if you're born to be king or queen, it is like a big deal because you're sort of going to be ruling the country for the rest of your life. So they would just want sort of it to go down the same traditional lines. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's only really, really been in very, very recent years that there's been any deviation from that whatsoever. Um, yeah. You just weren't free. I mean, did you go back and watch the earlier series of The Crown Car or did you just start on series four? Be honest. No, I've seen all of them. Oh, good. So, I mean, look at like, um, uh, you know, the abdication, like over Wallace Simpson. I mean, that was like such a huge deal yeah. um, that, you know, 
you know, that that was been a huge scandal, you know, back in the day. So I think that really shook up um, the monarchy in terms of, you know, there was absolutely no way that it could be perceived that Charles could marry a divorced woman. Um, so, you know, it was just, let's get him set up with someone who's not going to cause rock the boat, as they thought, you know, who's going to be very easy to mould and do what she's told, which is what they thought with Diana. I mean, she was so young when they got engaged that they just, I think they just thought that it was just going to be an easy way for them just to have a very peaceful um, marriage and for all to be successful and just she would just do what she was told it obviously didn't work out that way it certainly did not <laughs> before <laughs> I get into the rest of the I, I want to talk about a one-off guy the Michael Fagan of it all is he yeah. kind of known as a character is he kind of like somebody who I'm sure he's not been on Celebrity Big Brother but like kind of like, has he been eating off of being this guy who broke into the, the palace and, and ended up talking to the queen? Or No, he... I don't think so. I'm pretty sure he's in a mental hospital. I think he's got schizophrenia. Oh. Um, so yeah. he wouldn't be, like, certainly I have, because I Googled it so whilst watching it on the telly, because you're just like, because I can remember that happening when I was a kid and, and it was or it being spoken about, like, afterwards, and it being, like, a massive deal that someone obviously managed to break into the palace um, and you know that definitely happened and pretty much like as he said it happened I don't know that they had obviously the degree of conversation that they portrayed on on the show but he did actually manage to get into the queen's bedroom which is absolutely insane isn't it it really is and like is it true that he did it before or that he broke um, the castle before I mean that's what he claimed I mean obviously there would be no one to verify that because it's just his story and I guess he is schizophrenic as well is an element for it um but yeah according to his um you know recollection of it yes he did and that's like how he knew like how to get into the palace and sort of had scoped it out in advance it's pretty mad isn't it very wild I mean he's really lucky that he was not killed on spot yeah like because yeah America I mean he'd have no body left let's be honest um yeah I mean we're not armed here like you're not allowed yeah. just to have a gun I don't even know actually would people in royal palaces as go back to the 80s maybe they wouldn't have had guns or anything I think they probably would now but it's you know it would be very strictly controlled it's not something that you know a general policeman would be walking down the street with a gun or anything oh, must be nice that sounds nice <laughs> can't relate um so okay so people don't really take him as a national joke because they know that he has mental health issues no no he's not someone who would be I mean the one who probably would be seen as a, a national joke I don't think he popped up on this series of the crown but have you heard of um Princess Diana's um former butler Paul Burrell has he sort of made it into the media in America no what did he do Oh, well, he, well, basically he was Princess Diana's butler and he is literally on everything here. Like he's done I'm a Celebrity, um, you know, all the reality shows. Whenever there's um, like a low rent documentary about the royal, say on Channel 5, like one of our like lesser channels, he's always there as a talking head, giving his opinion about how, and the way he speaks about it is so over the top. Like um, he was the only person that Princess Diana trusted and she knew, knew everything about him and he knew everything about her and he's just always popping up on everything and it's just he's seen as like a real joke 
because it's like, oh, there he goes, there goes Paul Burrell again. Um, he was hey. like disowned by the royal family and stuff, and like kicked out of his like job and stuff not long after Princess Diana left. I think he got done as well for trying to sell some stuff he'd taken from the palace, um, <laughs> which he claimed obviously he was given. <laughs> but he's like a national joke. But yeah, no, no, that Michael Fagan, like, no, no. I I heard that um, the ballerina or the dancer who Diana did that dance with for Charles's birthday mm. is also kind of dining out on that as well. Like I think he was on Celebrity Big Brother at some point. What was his name again? I don't remember what his name was, but I I just read a quick article about him and uh, you know he was. I, oh, I would just love to see. That yes, show. yes. Is it Wayne Sleep? Is that think, the guy? Yeah. So. so he was in like cats and stuff like in the 80s yeah. so yes he definitely was on i'm a celebrity and actually my friend rob who probably will listen to this podcast he did some work with him when he worked like a celebrity manager for a charity and he used to phone him up at all hours just like for someone to talk to so i think he's quite a, a character wayne sleep but yeah he definitely went in the, in the jungle we call it in the uk we go on i'm a celeb and we'll pop up on stuff but i think it's less to do with his diana um, stuff and more to do with just he was like a known like person in the 80s just for like being a, st- a big star on the West End and stuff so and like a ballerina um, there's a royal well a royal associate that has gone into the jungle this year that did make me chuckle last night um, like a West End um, performer called um, what's her name Ruthie Henshaw I don't know if you've heard of her but she was doing some big thing like name dropping about when she used to go out with Prince um, Edward all on the show yesterday and going into great detail about um, when she met the Queen and being in the palace and sort of spilling all the beans on that so that sort of stuff would happen on that show it's you know people just sort of laugh at it it's like a bit of a joke really. I mean it seems really uh, uncouth to talk especially about Diana and having a special relationship with her and it's like well, nobody's around to confirm or deny that. So Exactly. You could say what you wanted, couldn't you? Because there's no way you can verify it. Yeah, it, uh, it kind of makes me feel uneasy. Um, one of the episodes that I really thought was interesting was the episode where they talk about their favorite children. Yeah. And I loved that Philip was like immediately like, well, mine is Anne. Like, come on. <laughs> Like, I don't even have to think about it. Um, And then we see the queen kind of, like, take her, have, like, dates, basically, with her children. So she can try to figure out which one is her favorite. And then we find out very quickly that it's Andrew. Yeah. Which is, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody wanted me to ask about the story that he told when he was dating the actress and he was telling her the queen about oh this movie and it isn't it so interesting that he's explaining the plot of the movie it's basically this young girl who's being taken advantage of by all these older men and the queen is like is it even legal for this girl to be filming this movie and he's like oh well who cares and I felt like that was very pointed for where absolutely like, I think they wanted to get a little dig in, probably, at Andrew, with stuff like that. Like, I noticed little nuances like that throughout The Crown, where it's sort of alluding to, like, present-day stuff. 
Um, but I think at the time, like he was, I think his name in the newspapers was like Randy Andy, and he was just seen as like, um, you know, really handsome. And just I remember, um, you know, when he was like with Sarah Ferguson and stuff, and they was he was seen as like people make comments like, oh, why can't um, Prince Charles look more like his brother? You know, stuff like that. Um, so he was definitely seen, I suppose, similar, I suppose, with Will and Harry, isn't it? Like people would comment similar things with them. <laughs> it's always yeah. the one in line to the throne who seems to have the worst genes. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. They do kind of set up the sort of, I don't know if rivalry is fair, but sort of like prickliness between Charles and Andrew because Andrew's basically the son who is like successful in the military and like goes out and does these things and he was in a war and he like kind of does everything that his dad would have wanted Charles to do but Charles kind of failed at like going to that private school and having friends and not getting bullied and and just being able to like live a life in a way that Charles felt was expected of him, but then he failed at. Yeah. It's that like, you know, you have these expectations and you're right. Like with William and Charles, it's like, you're never going to be, you're never going to look as good as the younger brother because you're never going to like, how do you even live up to the expectations of being potentially the next King? Or queen. I mean, how do you yeah, do I mean, that? you don't, do you? I mean, I think the queen was lucky in a way in that she was never supposed to be queen. It's not like she was raised like thinking she was going to be the queen. It was thrust upon her quite suddenly because firstly, she didn't know that her uncle would abdicate. So her brother, her dad was never supposed to be king. And then her dad died young. So, you know, it was like a double whammy. Like it should never really have happened that Elizabeth should have been our monarch let alone our longest reigning monarch ever. Like, it's mad, really. Um, so I don't think she had the same pressures on her. I mean, I think um, she was able to have a relatively, like, normal childhood. Because I think if it's you are being raised, that you are going to take over the monarchy, that there's so much pressure on you. And I don't know how anyone can live up to that. The The interesting thing to that, though, is, like, how... It seems like she put so much pressure on her children when she didn't have it herself and she was able to be so successful. I think the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about the show is like, obviously we move into more modern times, more like socially liberal times. And it seems like there's a a need to like cling to the past and the traditions because really like, what is the need for royalty today? Like, really? Um, I mean, I think that the need for royalty today is that it is a real stabilising force for us as a country that I think is difficult to understand. Like, the Queen has been the Queen, like, longer than my mum's been alive. You know what I mean? It's just that stability. Whereas you can have, like, a new prime minister. I guess it's similar terms to you guys having presidents in that it's like it's every four years on average you would have an election and sort of that chops and changes. So to have that consistency that also ties in with a very 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 strong sense of history I think is really important like it's really big for tourism um and I think that it is I think it does add something for us as a country I mean I know there are debates to be had about you know is it right that you're born and then you're just suddenly thrust upon 
with that sort of role but actually I think that it is a positive thing and it's not like they actually have the monarch would actually have any powers it's not that they could suddenly say I'm going to bring this law in or I'm going to change that you know it is sort of you know they're a figurehead rather than sort of an actual person in charge of sort of dominating politics or anything along those lines yeah so I would think that it I I think it's a positive force anyway but I know lots of people would disagree with me Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Another thing that I didn't want to talk about really was the Margaret Thatcher of it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> so I, you know, just like as a kid and growing up, like I realized that she wasn't really that great. But like we were, or in terms of like my personal education, I think I just thought of Margaret Thatcher of like, oh, she's a woman. And she's this woman in this great role. And, like, how great is that? Like, not really knowing anything about the politics behind it. I know now (laughs) that people don't really care for her. Was she... I feel like... Do you think the show was generous towards her? Yes, I would say it was. I mean, I certainly have a strong memory of being a kid and just thinking, oh, wow, we've got a female queen and we've got a female prime minister. And sort of saying to my dad, oh thinking just because she was a woman that made her great I don't know if I'd heard something at school or something I was repeating back my dad just being absolutely horrified and being like she's known as um, Thatcher the milk snatcher here because she was responsible it used to be that all kids um, at school were given a free bottle of milk every day and she took that away and that's no really big deal in this country particularly for my dad I don't know why so she's known as um, Thatcher the Milk Snatcher, you know, stealing things off children, like it's as tough as it gets, really, isn't it? So I think that, yeah, I think that they were quite generous to her, particularly in the, the last episode where there was the big speech between, like, the Queen and, um, you know, Thatcher. And I don't necessarily know that that would have happened to that extent. It seemed a bit OTT to me. But... No, I suppose it really depends like on which side of the fence you sit on. If you're right wing and you're a Tory, then you think she's great and you think she made some great changes for this country. Whereas actually, I think she was horrific. So it just depends which side of the fence you tore on. I suppose she's like the equivalent of like Reagan, I suppose, in America, just in terms of the time frame and, um, you know, right wing policies, etc. It seems like there was a lot of infighting and people leaving and people disagreeing with her that were on her own side. Yeah, that was towards the end. And then she was sort of ousted out 
I don't really remember the ins and outs of all of that because I was quite young, but I can certainly remember it being all over the newspapers, that striking image of her crying in the back of a car. Um, and I remember sort of, yeah, like my family like rejoicing over the fact that they'd gotten rid of her, rid of her after so long. Um, but yeah, it was sort of, she was stabbed in the back by her own party in, in the end. I think that it was just, you know, she was used as a scapegoat in the end, which fair enough, if that's a way to get rid of her, go for it. <laughs> by any means necessary um do is there a prime minister that like people do look at fondly um I don't know really like I don't, can't think of any that I particularly look at fondly I mean I think in general in the UK people look at like Winston Churchill because obviously his involvement around the time of the war and stuff is like a hero but I've never seen him as that way like I think he had some really bad policies so I wouldn't personally, um, but I think in general in the UK, people would look at him as perhaps like the greatest prime minister we've ever had. But I would certainly disagree with that. He was, um, I think, portrayed very kindly. In the oh, country. yeah, absolutely. I think he got a really um, sort of glowing portrayal. Um, but yeah, I can just remember like my granddad talking to me about him when I was a kid and him like he had lots of stuff that was really dodgy in terms of my family on my dad's side are from Liverpool and he um ordered in the 30s for like um you know guns and the army to be turned on strikers and it was just seen as like you know that that's you know it just he's really hated in like northern like very working class communities for things like that but I think it's just I think there's so much nostalgia, particularly towards like World War Two and stuff in this country that people just see him as like a figurehead head of the war and they just sort of gloss over all the negative things that he was involved in. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he got a, a good portrayal on the crown. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that there is one particular like prime minister that I would look back to and think, oh, my God, wasn't he great? Couldn't we have another one of those or certainly not with the women because the two we've had have been pretty horrific. So um yeah, so I wouldn't think of any that I would want to see a repeat of. Okay, so maybe it is good that you guys do have a stabilizing force. <laughs> with the family. Okay, you're making a lot of points here. <laughs> um, so, okay, I guess now would be time to get into the Diana of it all. Yes. Um, so I keep going back and forth in my mind of like, what exactly the general consensus of her was like you know my greatest memory of course is like my best friend even now but like back then um her birthday is august 25th so she had a mm -hmm. like a sleepover whatever weekend was you know the weekend that she died so like yeah, yeah. so her mother is english and she's from Oxford. And so this was like an even bigger moment in my childhood memory because I was with like an English family the night that it <laughs> happened. Um, so, you know, like my initial memories of Diana were like these, like, Oh my God, what a tragedy, which it is of course, but mm -hmm. like, it was just such a big deal. And I guess everybody just clearly, you know, after somebody dies, it's like, we put them on this pedestal, but like then reading about 
how the media portrayed her uh, when she was married to Charles and like during the whole divorce and like afterwards, it, it, I guess I just don't really have like a, a good idea of like what people felt about her when they were married. Because it seems like she gets a lot of like, oh, she's this really unstable, immature mess of a woman. And she's like fucking everything up. Mm-hmm. Like how lucky is she to, you know, be the eventual queen at the time. And she just like can't handle it. And she's just like an, an, a burden, basically. I mean, I think just everybody loved her and that's what the royal family hated. I think that they thought she would be in the background, that she would be, you know, very subservient and then Charles would be really popular and she would just be like the mousy wife in the background. But -hmm. obviously she was so young when they got engaged. She was so young when they got married. When she actually came into her own as like a woman, like she was just really groundbreaking in terms of how she would interact with the public. Like she would actually you know, touch members of the public, you know, she'd be in the crowds, like chatting with people, you know, showing her true emotion. And I think that side of it just really came across and everyone saw her as someone like who genuinely cared. And, you know, she wasn't just this stuffy royal who was far removed um, from, from, you know, the general public. Um, And then sort of, as she sort of progressed um, in her life as a, as a, a, a married royal you know just how she became so involved with so many channels you know she was very groundbreaking in terms of dealing with like people who had AIDS and stuff like that like it really was groundbreaking so she yeah. was seen as um you know a revolutionary I guess and people genuinely loved her like it was you know like a universal thing really it was almost um like overwhelming like how much people loved her I think there probably was a time where around when they got divorced and, um, you know, there were all the infidelities and she did that the famous um, interview with Panorama on the BBC that you've probably seen clips of where it was seen. I think a few people were, oh, my God, like, what are they doing? Because it seemed to be coming from both sides that they were just, you know, I don't know, embarrassing themselves, really, like airing all their dirty laundry. Um, but I think people still just genuinely loved her and wanted um, the best for her and yeah it all came crashing down quite quickly unfortunately the interview that you're talking about is that the Martin Bashir one yes yes there's been a big so deal about that in the UK recently it must have been it's yeah 25th anniversary I guess so they've literally been I've seen two different documentaries about about that documentary <laughs> and then it's all in I don't really fully understand but they're trying to having an investigation into whether um princess diana was um lied to and coerced into doing that interview which i find interesting because the way i saw it was that it was a way that she was able to be given a voice and actually you know say what she wanted to to the nation rather than it all going through um press releases and you know all being very sanitized and stuff so i find that all very interesting but yeah that was like an absolute huge deal here in the uk right so yeah i listen to a podcast called you're wrong about and they've been doing a series about diana and i guess they said that there was something that some way that they were able to uh get around 
doing the interview, like, I think he claimed that there were people who had, I can't, oh, I can't remember. It's going to really bother me. But basically, there were, like, dubious means to make this happen. The interview happened. Didn't they really... forged some bank statements, which is the bit I don't really understand. And it was something to do with Princess Diana's brother um, and yeah. forged bank statements. But I've really, even though I've watched two documentaries about it, I still don't fully really understand. I have to be honest, because it sounds a bit odd. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Forging bank statements and using false claims to convince her to participate in the interview. Um yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the whole thing, but I've definitely seen a lot of clips where she's talking about, you know, like, there were three of us in the marriage, and... Yeah, yeah. Sort of. I think that's yeah, sort of... you've the... probably seen all the key points. I mean, it was yeah. such, like, a big deal at the time. I'm surprised they haven't repeated the whole interview. I can remember watching it, like, when it aired, like, in the 90s here, but obviously that was many years ago now. Um, right. And, yeah, it was, like, a huge deal. Like, it really was. Um, because just nothing that had ever been done before, that she was just there on primetime, like, mainstream television, just, like, being very honest about things, and just that just didn't happen, like, back in those days. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're coming out of a family who is, like, highly curated, highly lock and key, keeping everything in the vault, it seems, like, that's my perception of the royal family, is that, you know, what you get... Maybe that's not so much true anymore, but like maybe at the time in the early, you know, 80s, 90s, they were still able to maintain a sort of privacy. And, yeah, absolutely. And kind of like kick the door out from under them on that one. Yeah, yeah, it was just literally, un- and it would be unheard of, I think, even nowadays. Like, can you imagine if like yeah. Megan just went rogue? I mean, obviously her family do, but imagine if she just went rogue and did like a hour-long interview on television it just wouldn't happen um so it was you know just unprecedented but I think that was why people loved Diana so much it just she seemed like so honest and genuine and refreshing there's like a running thing nowadays quite often on Twitter and the like where people will say oh Diana would have loved that I always enjoy it when people (laughs) post oh Diana would have loved that it's always, you know, whether it's a song or something on the television or, you know, Diana would have loved Instagram, you know, things like that. And it just always amuses me. And it's so true because she probably would have done like she would have been a real influencer, I think. I love when people put her in pictures with the family now. And she's absolutely love that. Absolutely (laughs) obsessed. She's like holding one of the grandkids, just like just normal. Like that's normal. Okay. Like thank the you world guys. of Princess Diana Facebook groups is like <laughs> a whole other universe. Like I'm obsessed. I'm in so many of them, and they're quite often like I never contribute to them, but I'm just a silent observer. And quite often I'll just screenshot stuff and just like pop it on like my own social media because it's something will really astound me. Yes, whether it's like a Photoshop photo or you know the comments, you know. I think the Lady Die Facebook, they always call her Lady Die as well, still in the Facebook groups, not Princess Diana. Um, and they would, oh, I think they've been up in arms, like all angry about Camilla again because of the crown. So I've seen sort of lots of like nasty comments about Camilla and stuff all in the Facebook groups and calling her a home wrecker and all of this, that, and the other. Um, so yeah, it's not I a knew- good position to be in, is it? I guess if you're Camilla, because you're never <laughs> going to be able to. Um, right you know have the same sort of popularity she'll never be queen though that was clear when they got married like she'll be some sort of consort but she'll never be the queen of england so 
when I first started getting to know you, you post, you would post like, not frequently, but like a few things that were very like pro Diana, like in a weird way. And it must've been those Facebook things. I was like, yeah, can you tell if this is a joke because you would offer no commentary. I was like, Oh, I hope she's not like this. <laughs> and then I realized like trolling and this is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> like because I do see it with a sense of humor as well you know what I mean like I do yeah. like I love Diana but it is humorous like um there used to be in Harrods in London because it was owned by um till recently by Mohammed Fayed yeah. who was um obviously Dodie his son was with Diana when she died he died in the car crash that she died in so they'd only been together for like a month or two like right. when um Diana died so it wasn't like a long-term relationship but I think like he went so OTT. So they used to have this like shrine in the basement in Harrods and they only got rid of it last year. I was devastated. And in this shrine, they had like, um, I'll send you a picture of it so you can put it on your social media because it's absolutely fantastic. And they had this like two oval gold frame pictures, one of Diana, one of Dodie. They had like a gold um, like statue of them dancing together. They had all this stuff like a waterfall. And then they had like, I always thought it was an egg timer, but then someone pointed out to me it was t the two wine glasses that they'd been drinking out of at dinner before the oh fatal crash with, like, lipstick marks still on them. And this was all, like, all in this shrine that you could go and visit in the basement in Harrods. And every time, like, I went to that part of London, I'd always go and have a photo taken next to it of me, like, mock crying. And you know, <laughs> I was absolutely devastated when they got rid of that last year. It was only because he sold Harrods to someone else, so... I think the new owners thought it was a bit um, tacky, which I disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was looking through a list of Diana's lovers and yeah. I felt bad for her because I just feel like the ones that I saw, only one of them could be described as marginally attractive. And I feel like that which, was another which one. Would you say was marginally attractive? Uh, the polo guy or whatever oh, he um, did. Oh, the red hair. Um, oh, the one that everybody carries. Yeah, yeah, the one yeah. that everybody carries real bad. The, all the other ones are like, oh, she is way out of all of their leagues. Like, I yeah, mile. They were quite fusty looking. Like, I think that. Yeah, I think that they were a real mixed bag. I mean, I didn't find that Dodie who she was with at the end. He was just known for being a playboy. I didn't think mm -hmm. that was going to, you know, be a long-lasting relationship. You know what I mean? Like, dating a playboy is never a good idea. Like, hanging out on yachts for a few months. Um, there was the heart surgeon immediately before that. Um, uh -huh. Who it was said that yeah. he was the love of her life, people said. And, you know, but who knows what the truth of any of that is. Um, there was also like quite a famous rugby player that she was alleged to have been with. I mean, he was the captain of the England rugby team, Will Carling, but he wouldn't mm. be my cup of tea. It's not really my vibe. But I suppose people would think he might be attractive, I guess. What did amuse me, though, from the, the crown was when um, I think it was the queen. No, it was Princess Anne, wasn't she? When she was sort of explaining to the queen about what Diana had been up to and sort of she mentioned the bodyguard. And that did make me chuckle because my old boss used to work in Kensington Palace and she would never go into detail because she was too discreet. But she sort of alluded to the fact that Princess Diana had like had an affair with um, her security guard. And it was just used to it just made me chuckle when they brought that up. So I was like, oh, maybe Ali was right all along. <laughs>
<laughs> um, is that Barry Manicky, the one that died in the motorcycle crash? Um, sorry, say that again. There was a guy who died in a motorcycle crash. I think his name was Barry Manicky. Mm, I'm not familiar with him. Was he a security guard? Um, I'm not sure. I know he worked for... I think he worked for her in some respect, but he, they said that he got, they got together in like 85 and then he ended up dying in a motorcycle crash in 87, which. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, perhaps it could have been. I think what my old boss referred to is sort of she alluded to the fact she would go for long walks with her security guard or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She referred to it, it just used to make me chuckle. Um, but yeah, it could well have been him. It would have been around that time in the mid eighties that she worked there. Yeah, she. I guess Diana alleged, or maybe this is like people making it up after the fact that like she thought that he had been offed, and that's why he died. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. And still, you know, I'm not really a big conspiracy theorist. I know most people under the planet seem to be nowadays, but yeah. you know, it did seem too odd. You know what I mean? That princess mm-hmm. diana would have died like under such circumstances you know what i mean when yeah. you know she was like she was like the mother of who was going to be the king of england and she did seem like particularly that summer and in that final year she was just going around like dating whoever doing what she wanted like being photographed on yachts with playboys all that summer and it'd always be all over the front pages of all the tabloids here so i think it was probably embarrassing well it would have been embarrassing for the royal family like that sort of carrying on um so yeah it does just does seem odd that she died at such a young age and but you know it's such a public way to die and stuff as well that you know I think if they were gonna bump her off they'd have found a a subtler way to do it I guess you know it's all odd isn't it it's very odd a very odd set of circumstances um so the timeline of you know Camilla is interesting to me because I was always led to believe that and I kept reading like differing reports and accounts of what exactly happened but it the last one I read was that actually they were claiming that Charles was faithful to Diana the whole time until 1986 and I didn't buy that yeah I don't okay thank you (laughs) Thank you. Because they made it think like they made it like Diana had been basically gallivanting. You know, it was just like a revolving door of men the whole time. Mm. Charles was faithful to her until like he just couldn't take it anymore in 1986. And then he got back together with Camilla only at that point. And yeah, they just really made it seem like Diana was the troublemaker. Yeah, no, I don't buy that. Like, I think it always seemed to me like she was so young and she wanted to be married and she seemed to genuinely really care about him and you know it just to me seemed like she'd been broken down and anything she did was just a reaction to how she'd been treated like Mm. at all you know I think that he was treating her badly from the onset isn't it there's something weird like they only met something like 17 times in total before their wedding like it's absolutely insane isn't it yeah yeah just mad I can't imagine the pressure she must have felt. You know, and she was so young. Like, you know, um, I was reading something the other day about how much weight she lost at her initial fitting for her wedding dress and the wedding day. And it was something like 
five inches from around her waist I was like she just like dropped all of her weight off with the stress and stuff and it's just really sad that she was that pressured and you know not given the support as well because obviously I think nowadays like it seemed to me like when Kate Middleton like sort of got around the time of her wedding and stuff she seemed like she was given much more support and um you know it seemed like the queen was very involved in like helping to mold her and helping to show her the ropes and all of that stuff where it seemed that that didn't happen like for Diana yeah because in the episode where you know leading up to the wedding there was that scene where somebody was like oh well queen like why don't you show Diana the ropes and she's like why would I do that and she like kind of gives that job to her aunt or her grandmother Diana's grandmother I think no I think it was her own mum I think that was the queen mum like in the crown is that I don't think that the woman portraying the queen mum like looked anything like her because she always just had very white hair you know the big smile on her face and it's just this woman's quite like bony and like dark gray hair and I just don't think it's right so I think that confuses people Mm. um the episode that I think was the most interesting for me was when they go on the Australian tour yeah and it kind of starts off with Diana really putting her foot down about having William being taken away from her yeah and how it seems like Charles's secretary or whoever that guy was was like really rough on her and they get an argument on the plane and it seems like their relationship was always really icy and I didn't like that and I felt like it, it seems like they put a lot of pressure on her in the sense that they are waiting for her to fail they're waiting for her to act out or embarrass them in some way and then she comes into her own people start loving her and really warming to her and then they have a problem with that it's like yeah (laughs) so gross the way he treats her is like really abhorrent and it really upset me (laughs) clearly yeah It's like such a lose-lose situation for her to be in, wasn't it? Like, whatever she did would be wrong. So, you know, that she was just set up to fail, really. That Well, they assumed she would fail, and then so she had the last laugh. Like, I think the monarchy's probably, the modern monarchy's never been as rocked as after Diana's death and, like, the outpouring of, like, emotion and, um, like, how the whole nation just seemed united and it was just in grief and, you know, the anger that was felt towards the royal family at that time because it was felt that they weren't um you know being supportive or they weren't doing um just the queen wasn't seen for days and it wasn't seen that she was trying to unite the nation in their grief it was all seen as very standoffish so yeah I don't think anyone could have anticipated that like it was absolutely insane like around that time yeah I heard it took her something like a week to make any sort of statement about that yeah and people it didn't, I remember it quite clearly she did sort of a live like broadcast the television tried to like humanize herself by referring to like her grandsons and sort of speaking about how much she knew everyone loved Diana and all of that um and they were doing stuff I think because there's a lot of protocol in the royal family so sort of even like when the Duke of Edinburgh dies like you won't get a state funeral and you know it's a case of you would only 
um, change the flag that flies above Buckingham Palace from the Union Jack to the Royal Standard. Um, you know, you, well, you would only raise the um, lower the flag because um, there is always a flag flying at all times above it, but it would only be lowered if it's like a direct, you know, member like of the you know bloodline and the royal family. Um, if something would happen to them and they didn't, they refused to do it for days with Diana. Then eventually they caved and she had like a proper state funeral and everything, which wasn't protocol and wasn't going to happen. But they had to like bow to public pressure over it. Right. I. Uh, that's. Yeah, it's an interesting thing when you have to like be real, but you're. Uh, yeah, you're also having to like deal with the protocol of it all. It like doesn't allow you to be a human and to empathize with people. Yeah, I think sometimes things are too rigid with stuff like that because. I don't think anyone could have anticipated that A, she would have died, or that B, <coughs> how the public reaction would have been. So I think that I can, I can see it from the Queen's perspective and that she probably didn't know what to do and the advisors didn't know what to do for the best either. They were probably just following what was in their rule book. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just have to be human, you know. Like it was a time when she really needed to show that more vulnerable side and... I think, yeah, eventually people sort of came back around to her, but it took a long time. <clears throat> Did it feel like, like, it didn't really seem like Diana had an ally with anybody. We see a couple scenes where, like, you know, she, they go off to Scotland and, you know, she goes hunting with Philip and Philip takes a liking to her and it, she, it's like that great test the Balmoral test. Yeah. She ends up passing and everybody loves her. And Charles is like pouting in the corner about it. And then we saw, was it the last episode where Philip goes into her room and like gives her a talking to, and it like kind of starts off being nice. Like, and then it gets into this interesting conversation of how like, yeah, Diana, you feel like an outsider, but I am everybody in this family is an outsider to the queen like yeah special <laughs> we're all having to do things that we don't want to do so like suck it up basically <clears throat> I, yeah I mean I always got the impression that um from things that I've read that they he they were quite close you know out of the other royals tested me that they didn't really seem Fergie was barely in it basically was she I mean she was seen like yeah. in a few sort of group shots but there wasn't really but her and Diana were like a famous double act like when the two two marriages were still intact and that they'd always be photographed together like all going skiing as a group hanging out um you know at polo matches like there's so many photos if you google photos of Fergie and Diana together so it's where they seem to be having like jolly times and stuff so that wasn't really mentioned either I didn't think do you think that it was and before I ask this maybe I should preface this by saying that you know, they the crown didn't want to get into the wedding because they felt like there was so much real footage of the wedding that recreating it wouldn't add anything to the show. Do you agree? Yeah. With yeah. I mean, I think that it's, well, it's the most famous, most watched wedding ever, isn't it, of all time? Certainly yeah. Certainly sort of in the 80s. Well, what I do like is that that was the most watched and the second most watched was... um. 
Scott and Charlene in Neighbours, which um, Charlene was obviously played by Kylie Minogue. So <laughs> the 80s were a really big time for weddings in the UK. Sure. Um, you know, but, you know, honestly, like, who doesn't know that footage? Like, it's been used in all sorts of other media, you know, everyone. I don't really see how they could have recreated it. They didn't need it you know such huge casts like would they have been allowed to have used St Paul's Cathedral um that probably they were wise just to stick away from that I really liked the what they did show was like the rehearsal and Diana Charles have the conversation about how like she found that bracelet that Mm. that Charles had made for uh Camilla and he comes back with like the signet ring that he gave to Camilla and he took it back and he's like, Oh, you know, I broke up with her. Like things are over. And you see that Diana's like not fully convinced, but she's just like, I'm just going to do this. Like, yeah. Yeah. You get the impression that she wanted to like back out of it, but it was all too late. Like, how could you really, you know what I mean? You're sort of being shoved down that pathway in front of the whole world. Like there's no way you could have, but again, I think these is where the crown takes artistic license. Like none of us really know what Diana was actually thinking at that point. Like I don't not convince that actually happened where she found like a bracelet and stuff because, you know, it's all too perfect, isn't it, for the story really? Um, but yeah, I think she definitely would have felt pressure. But yeah, it's difficult to like actually know what she was thinking at that moment. Yeah. Well, I read that he had made jewelry or had gotten gifts for like several of his close friends and Camilla was one of them and yeah. it wasn't like a Fred and Gladys thing but it was something else that he gave her and he like hand delivered it to her two days before the wedding and that feels like a betrayal like yeah that's not really that's, on that's that's really fucked up to me I did really enjoy all the way through when they just keep referring to Gloucestershire they would be like, oh, in Gloucestershire, because I'm living in Gloucestershire at the moment, so I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Is Are you close to that house? Yeah, it's not far. I mean, um, our counties in the UK are re- really small, you know, probably, what, like, 20 miles across, I'd say. It's, like, general size. So, yeah, it's probably, like, a 20-minute drive away, I guess. Okay. Um, there's certainly plenty of royals around here. Like, Princess Anne doesn't live very far away. Um, and um, Zara, um, Princess Anne's daughter, lives in my hometown. Like she would be spotted out and about, like in the posher shops of the town and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess I wonder, like, how often do you really come in contact with a royal? Not like, you know, like I don't expect you guys to, you know, pass each other by in like a Marks and Spencers or anything. But like, <laughs> how often? would there be like an event or something just in your regular life? Like what's the access to them even just from afar? Like how often does that really happen? I mean, I've only once had a encounter where I was in sort of uh, like hearing distance, I guess, of a Royal. And I, I, I embarrassed myself, I'm afraid to say. So um, there's like a famous horse racing, like meeting that takes place, like in my hometown, the Cheltenham Festival, um, lots of royals would go that, to that for the gold cup um, and I was there with my sister and we'd gone and we got absolutely we drinking like champagne for breakfast we were so drunk and then we paid like to have the fancy ticket so we we're in the like 
gold enclosure or whatever they called it and then I saw Princess Anne was like walking near me and I just I just panicked I was like what do I do like um so what I did rather than just you know smiling or you know what I mean just pretending I didn't see her to be polite what I did was I wailed at her at the top (laughs) of my lungs I wailed Anne (laughs) Anne at Princess Anne until she gave me the most withering look I've ever seen in my whole life. My sister was just like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I really don't know why I just did that. <laughs> it was just like the panic and I was so drunk. It was just, that was how it came out. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I, I can see how you got to that point because one time I was very drunk in a town called Athens, Georgia. And it's a big college town. Is that where REM are from? I've heard of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I know something. <laughs> something about American life, yeah. I've never been to Georgia, I have to say. Sorry? I've never been there, never been to that part of America. It's it's nice. It, it's nice. But I saw the lead singer of um <laughs> the B-52s, and I was very drunk. <laughs> I was like... Oh my God, I love you so much. And I don't, like, I like the B-52s just fine. But like, did I need to gush at him about how much I love them? No, I didn't. But I did. <laughs> and it's completely out of character for me. And yet it happens. So I understand things like that happen sometimes when you've had a little bit too much to drink. Yeah, I think it's alcohol is the problem, isn't it? Exactly. Like, at one time, though, I did see Kylie Minogue in a crowd while at the Donna concert, actually, in, in Hyde Park. And I was just so overcome that I didn't say anything. She walked right past me and I could see it. And I was like elbowing my friend who I was with. I was like, oh my God, it's Kylie Minogue. And she just seemed like she was just wanting to enjoy the concert and not be noticed. She had like a hat on and sunglasses. And I let her walk right past me, Cara. So you just never know how you're going to react in these situations. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about Princess Margaret. Is she? Oh, I love Princess Margaret. Is she as much of a badass as she is portrayed on the show? Because I love her. I the- absolutely love Princess Margaret. Um, she just, you know, she was just sort of uh, the black sheep of the family. Is that too harsh? But you know what I mean? She was the royal rebel. She just mm-hmm. seemed like a lot of fun. You know, she was just always, again, my boss told me a wonderful story about when she was working in um, Kensington Palace in the 80s. And Because loads of the royals lived in Kensington Palace in the 80s. So like mm-hmm. Princess Margaret lived there. They all had like apartments. Like Charles and Diana had an apartment there. Um, other minor royals would have done. And um, one time um, um, Princess Margaret asked my boss to take her tiara back to the safe. And obviously this was the date years before the camera phones and stuff. And obviously she tried the tiara on. But I was just like, oh my goodness, imagine getting to try one of Princess um, Margaret's tiaras on. It's just as good as it gets, isn't it? That does sound fun. Sounds like just that famous photo of her as well in the <coughs> bath with the crown on. Like That's probably my favourite royal photo ever. I think it's just perfect. Oh, I'll have to look that up. Uh, see, oh, I'll send it to you. It's wonderful. Okay. Do you think that Helena Bottom Carter was a good choice to portray her? Um, not convinced, actually. I definitely preferred Vanessa Kirby. Um, and I think my main issue, I mean, I don't think she was terrible. Um, but I just don't think she got it quite right. I mean, particularly, you know, towards the end of Margaret's life, 
you know, she wasn't this like glamour puss. She wasn't this like glamorous figure. And one thing that always stands out to me was because how suntanned she always looked and like really leathery skin. And Helena Bonham Carter's just as pale as it gets. You know what I mean? So I just think mm. aesthetically it wasn't quite right. Because <clears throat> yeah, she was she was just always in mustique, wasn't she? And just absolutely the most tanned royal I think we've ever had, Princess Margaret in her later years. Oh yeah. This is now I'm seeing pictures and you're absolutely right. Very tan. And you could uh, tell she'd had a rough life, you know, you could just tell by her skin tone in terms of partying, heavy drinking and stuff. You could just see it in her skin, you know, she she looked pretty haggard. Yeah. I don't know if you guys use this phrase over there, but rode hard and put away wet would be kind of I've never heard that phrase before, but that sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> um I Speaking of Vanessa Kirby, I think you're right. I thought she was a great, great actress. I love the episode where, like, she and Tony get together and they do that picture, the photograph that she took with, like, her shirt. She looks like she's yeah. topless. Yeah. I thought that was such a great episode. Yeah, I really love that one. Um, yeah, so I just don't... But then also, I don't think that Olivia Coleman was as good for me, like, as the queen. You know, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Like, she just seemed like Olivia Coleman you know uh, not she didn't I didn't sort of suspend reality with her and think oh that's her royal highness queen Elizabeth II and I never thought that I always thought oh it's Olivia Coleman whereas I think my name's my mind's gone blank as to who played the queen in the first two series um but I just thought she was absolutely wonderful and I love when she had her cameo in one of the later episodes that we had her back just for that short scene right is her name oh my gosh why is I've gone blank like I so know who she is but I've gone blank on it I know exactly who she is and I'm blanking on her as well that <laughs> is wild I'm gonna have to look it up because Claire Foy Claire, oh yes yeah I mean, she was absolutely wonderful I thought she was fantastic yeah planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quinn's Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Um, what do you think about the other portrayals on the show? Because I feel like I am now sexually attracted to Josh O'Connor. And... Yeah, but then he seemed really um, attractive in sort of series three. But then I think in series, towards the end of series four, I don't know what they were doing to him, but he was starting to look more and more like Charles and just sort of really beaten around the bush and just sort of 
almost like he had a hunchback you know what I mean like he yeah. was just getting less and less attractive <laughs> I don't quite know what if it was like prosthetics or what they were doing um but yeah I think he was really good I mean I tell you who I thought was absolutely excellent in it Princess Anne like I thought the young lady playing her I don't know who yeah. she is I've not seen her in anything else but she was absolutely fantastic like great yeah I yeah I loved her I love how a sense of humor she had she said something to the queen once of like I think it was the Australia episode she's like oh you haven't been there since like the 19th century or whenever it is that you went like <laughs> just so just so funny to me <laughs> yeah 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 I think she does come across as having a very dry like no nonsense kind of woman like I think it was what was it must maybe it was her 60th birthday maybe her 70th birthday there was something recently some big birthday during lockdown she had princess Anne like had a tv special here and she wouldn't really have many tv specials of her own and she sort of was like speaking about like her life and stuff and she just came across as just very dry and no nonsense like I just really enjoyed it I'm curious about her perception because it seems like she is like a pretty chill chick but it also seems like people thought of her as being kind of like not stuck up but just sort of like she had a bad attitude and I think like maybe her dryness just didn't translate well yeah I think sometimes like humor can be a difficult thing in the UK and that it doesn't always translate well it sometimes can be difficult to tell if someone's being sarcastic or if someone's being rude and I think for her as well she is has always been quite standoffish um, whereas Princess Diana was always very glamorous, she had the latest fashions on. Um, whereas Anne is famous, like for like repeating like outfits, like she wouldn't care less, like she'd wear the same outfit as many times as she likes, and she'd be like criticised like in the newspapers and stuff and things like that. Whereas actually, it's just being savvy and ahead of the game, like when it comes to being environmental. I think. Um, right. So I think that in contrast, like it probably was quite a shock you know her and Diana were so different and Diana was so loved you could see how it probably would get on her nerves a little bit because she was the one who was born a princess right yeah and it's got to be like such a hard game to play because people like royal or not if you're like a well-known wealthy whatever it's like people want to have you both ways and they can't do it so it's like they'll get on to Anne for repeating an outfit but then it's like you want to talk about luxury and how pe- wasteful people are, and like you know, it's like you can't win. You really can't yeah. win these positions. Um, the I think one of the last things I want to talk about was such a great scene where Charles is just like fully fledged monster, but like he's doing it out of love, I guess. Is Diana goes to New York. And then she's seen hugging that child who is yeah. HIV positive. Yeah. And Camilla sees that and you could tell that she's like so defeated. And she and Charles have this conversation of like, there's no way we can work because I'm, Diana's always going to be seen as a victim, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like I'm never going to win in the court of public opinion against her. Like it's never going to happen. And is it really worth me living my life? that way you know even if I love you and then Charles meets up with Diana and he just goes off on her and 
it's like he blames her and he calls her delusional and all over her being a human and loving on a child. And he basically is just like, I'm mad at you because you hurt Camilla. And it's like, first of all, that's a crazy thing to say. (laughs) Secondly, (laughs) it's like, he clearly loves her, but he is going, like he punishes Diana every step of the way. And it's really disgusting to watch. Yeah. I think that, yeah, he just treated her. I just think they were so different. They were from such different worlds. I mean, there's such a fun story I always think about when I think about Princess Diana in that there's a gay bar in London that I go to all the time and like I DJ there sometimes and it's just like a really fun place to be. They have drag acts and it's been going a really long time called the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. And um, there's a really fun story that in the 80s, um, Princess Diana like snuck out of um, Kensington Palace with um, um, Freddie Mercury um, oh. and with um, Kenny Everett, who was like a comedian, and then like another lady who was like a comedian who used to be on his TV show called Cleo. And because obviously everyone knows who Princess Diana is, they dressed her up like Freddie Mercury, that like, dressed her up in like leathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with a fake moustache on and like a leather cap and they took her out to the gay bar like out dancing and you know she just had like the time of her life and there's you know it's like massive like urban legend like that people like to talk about in London and you know it's pretty much been confirmed that that is a true story and it's just you know that sort of wild life that she was living like going to gay bars with like Freddie Mercury in the 80s you know what I mean and it's just so far removed from the stuffy like image and life and experiences that Prince Charles always had you know they're just so different to that could you yeah. imagine him like doing anything fun and re- remember the look of horror on his face when Ginger Spice pinched his bum like in the 90s like it was just he didn't really know what to do did he, he just looked you know really like shocked right um, you know they're just so different you know and it's just I don't see how it could ever have worked, you know. And I think it did grow over time, like, that difference. I mean, obviously, when she was young and naive and just did what she was told, that was one thing. But when she actually grew up and became her own person, then, you know, it just was never going to work. So, yeah, I think it was doomed for failure from the start, for sure. It makes me feel for her, and it makes me, like... Just think of how different the world would be if they had just left her alone <laughs> you know just like yeah, just let her do what she wanted to do yeah. like what would she be doing now like I like to think that I often think about what I think Diana would be doing now and I think she'd be one of those people who's very loyal to her hairdo like she would never have grown that out like it would be a variation of that sort of uh, fluffy crop you know what I mean like that yeah. hair wouldn't have changed much she would still be wearing like too much eyeliner like all of that would still be the same. Imagine she'd still be working out. You know, she'd take good care of us. How old would she be now? I guess maybe about sixty or something. I don't yeah. know. I guess she would be, wouldn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she'd still be a very glamorous woman, like still into fashion and stuff. I wonder what career she would have done. Like maybe she'd have been like a contributing editor for Vogue or something like that. You know what I mean? Like the type of one who doesn't actually do any work but gets to like pop up every now and then and. I think she'd have been, I said it already, I think she'd have been massive on Instagram. I think she would have been, you know, a big influencer. But, yeah, yeah it would have been interesting to see how she would have turned out. She definitely would have, like, 
I think a lot of what Meghan Markle's doing would have been a lot of what Diana's doing. Like, gotten a big deal with, like, a Netflix or some sort of service, you know, produced content that was, like, helpful to the world. Would she be on TikTok? Do you think she'd be the type who'd be quite innovative? (laughs) Like, I don't get TikTok. I get the impression that maybe Princess Diana would have used it, but charitable means, do you think? Maybe. Maybe. I would, do you think she would have gotten married? I don't think she would have gotten married to Dodie, but do you think she would have No, gotten... I don't think she'd have gotten married to the Playboy. I think maybe she might have been on her, like, third or fourth marriage by now. Like, I just think that someone who's that big a character, like, I just don't think you can pin someone like that down. But I think she, like, would have liked the idea of marriage, but, you know, I think she's the sort of person who perhaps, like, Joan Collins, like, maybe she'd have met the right person, like, in later years and then finally mm. stopped the serial marriages and settled down with someone younger I could see her doing that yeah I wonder if she would have hooked up with like a George Clooney yeah I mean he does like a humanitarian doesn't he so maybe actually George Clooney yeah oh I wish Uh, about another world leader like could she have hooked up with like I suppose all your presidents are like married aren't they so there are no single ones there she could have gone with but yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah, mm. that rumor was that she had hooked up with JFK Jr. And Same that didn't didn't Sonia Morgan as well? Did I make that up? <laughs> <laughs> I think she may have. Yeah. Oh gosh, what if Carol Radziwill and Princess Diana had become close friends? That would have been wild. I think Carol would have loved that. You know, I really think Carol oh, I, would be dining I, out on that like all the time <laughs> if that had I, happened. Sure. Um, yeah, that would have been a turn up for the books. I wonder <laughs> if she'd ever have done reality television. Would have to be something very like high class if she had have done. Maybe she might have had like a not a docu soap, but you know what I mean, like a documentary about her charitable work or something, like a three parter like Max, maybe. But yeah. I don't see her like going on I'm a celeb or Celebrity Big Brother or anything like that. Not not yeah. Diana. I would have seen, like, a documentary like Beyonce did a few years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something a bit more highbrow. Maybe film yeah. black and white. I could see yep. that. Yep, <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. Do I have any more questions for you? I don't think I do. This was a real treat. A real royal treat for me. A real, like, any, any excuse to talk about the royal family, particularly Diana. <laughs> <laughs> a real Turkish delight, if you will. Um, love a Turkish delight. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want people to follow you anywhere? Yeah, sure. Follow me if you like. Like I do quite often post and repost Diana content if that's your bag. Um, normally, it's, I do sometimes Photoshop myself into pictures with Diana. I have done that in the past. Yeah, I do tend just to steal it. stuff off the groups and add that. Um, but yeah, it's um, at Lady Jasmana um, on all platforms, I think. Perfect. Well, I'll put that in the description of the episode. Thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you very much, Cara. It was a pleasure. (laughs) Bye. Bye.